Hey there, welcome to Context for Kids. I'm Miss Tyler, and I am so excited to be bringing you this brand new radio program about Bible Context. Parents, stick around to the end if you want to find out how to find my website and my archives where I will post this and all future programs free of charge, just in case you miss one, plus transcripts for the hearing impaired. So, kids, what is Bible Context anyway? Well, context is what you know, and you assume that everyone else knows, too. Depending on what country you live in, you might eat certain kinds of foods, or dress in a certain way, or live in a particular kind of house, or have traditions, or ways of saying things that wouldn't make sense to someone who lives somewhere else. And so, when talking to someone from another country, they might not understand what you're talking about or, worse, totally think the wrong things. Like, what if I say the word food? What do you think of? If you're an American, probably lots of hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza. What if you're from China? Did you think of chow mein or fried rice? How about Mexico? Oh, bring on the tacos and the burritos. Or Italy? Oh, spaghetti. How about France? Yeah, let's just skip the snails and the frog's legs. <laughs> what about Germany? They are famous for their sausages. And how about some sweet African curry dishes? Even though all these countries have very different foods, they are usually familiar because they use ingredients that we are familiar with too, except for the snails and the frog's legs, right? <laughs> but in some countries, people eat tarantulas and ants and bats and cats and dogs and horses. They might think that pizza was really strange. Or different people saying the same word, the word food, can mean different things when saying it. That's a great example of context. What something means to me is not necessarily what it means to you. And neither of us is automatically wrong. We're just looking at the same word through the filter of our own unique culture. But to understand one another, we have to learn about one another's lives and not assume that what is normal to us is also normal to them. Now, when we read something written by someone else, like maybe a letter or a book, we need to know as much about that person and their life as possible, or we might jump to the wrong conclusions. How about clothes? Have your parents or your grandparents ever shown you pictures of what they thought was cool when they were kids? When I was a teenager, we wore leg warmers plaid shirts with ruffles and bows with huge shoulder pads and terry cloth sports headbands headbands oh and huge hairstyles that took a ton of hairspray but what would i have worn if i lived among the eskimos of alaska i'd wear a thick furry parka or the mongolians of northern china it is so windy there that they need thick clothing to keep out the cold or in India, 
or Africa. And India is very hot, so they wear looser, more flowing clothing than we do. Some people wear beautiful clothes that look like costumes to us. I have African friends who wear the most beautiful clothes with beautiful patterns and, and friends from India who wear beautiful silk scarves. So when you say clothes, it can mean different things to different people as well, even though it means, you know, what we cover our body with in every culture. But likely all of those cultures would laugh if they saw a picture of me with huge hair dressed like I was going to the gym while still wearing normal school clothes. How about homes? Or actually I should say houses. For one person, their house might be an igloo on the frozen tundra or a hut in the middle of the jungle or an apartment high up in a city building with no yard or a big house out in the country with a huge yard or how about a house on stilts on a mountainside or on stilts in the water or on a boat another person's home might have paper walls on the inside or no walls at all on the inside their roof might be shingles or tiles or grass or even ice what about the things we say? I love to play the idiom game. No, I didn't say idiot. I said idiom. Idioms are phrases that say one thing, but mean something entirely different. Like, if I said, who let the cat out of the bag? Or, who spilled the beans? I'm asking who told the secret or gave away the big surprise. But if someone didn't know that saying, they would wonder why anyone on earth would object to letting that poor cat out of the bag. And they might demand to know who would put a cat in a bag in the first place. Or they might gra go grab some rags to help me clean up after whoever spilled the beans all over the kitchen floor. Now, let's look at some more funny idioms from other countries just for fun. What if a German friend said, I only understand the train station? What would you think they'd be telling you? They'd be saying, I don't understand what you're talking about. What if a Swedish friend said, there's no cow on the ice? Well, they'd be telling you not to worry. Don't worry about it. If someone from Portugal says that you are pushing something with your belly, it means you're putting off doing something. You're procrastinating. There's a really big word that means just you're not doing what you're supposed to when you're supposed to do it, like your homework or your chores. One of my favorites is when someone from Japan is telling you goodbye and says, stinky like fish. It means don't be a stranger or come back soon but if you didn't know that you would want to go home and take a bath because you'd be worried that you smell like stinky fish but idioms can also get us into terrible trouble I once said something to a native Vietnamese speaker that made her really angry 
I told her that I was idiot-proofing something. Now, she misunderstood and thought that I was calling her an idiot when the expression just means to make something so easy that anyone can understand how to do it. That's always the risk when talking to someone from another culture. If we use idioms, expressions that don't say what they seem to say, it can make communication very difficult. In this case, she never talked to me again. Not very in a nice way, anyway. And no one could convince her, this was at work, no one could convince her that I wasn't insulting her. She was born in an honor-shame society, and so she couldn't forgive what she thought was an insult. And we'll learn about that, too, because honor-shame societies like we see in the Bible are not like American and European culture at all. But people in Asia and Africa, they understand it perfectly. Maybe you've even heard a joke that you didn't understand, or you didn't think was funny because you didn't understand the context, which is the story behind the story that made it funny. <coughs> the next time you hear a joke, ask yourself if it would be funny if you spoke another language, or were from a different country, or a different time, or a different planet even. Now, these examples uh, are all right now in the 21st century, but what if we go backwards in time 2,000 years to when Yeshua was here on earth? Or, you know, I call the Messiah Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name, but your family might call him Jesus or Jesus or Isa or Yesu, depending on where you're from. And I want you to always call him, you know, call him what your family calls him. But I, if I say Yeshua, you know I'm talking about Jesus or Jesus or whoever, all right? But what if we go back to his time or even further back to the time of Abraham? For Yeshua or Jesus, a home was usually made of stone with a roof of grass. But for Abraham, home was a tent that he carried with him wherever he traveled. <clears throat> In fact, for you and I, home is a definite place. It's a piece of real estate. Go, that's, that's, that's another idiom there. It's a piece of real estate. It's a chunk of land. But for Abraham, it was his tent, which could go and be absolutely anywhere. But if you have a military family, home might simply be wherever the people you love happen to be living at the moment. And that's good too. The Bible, you, you can really relate to Abraham, right? Now, the Bible is full of situations and ideas that no longer make sense to us unless they're explained. Just like movies about different times, and even like books about fantasy worlds like Narnia. Now, the Bible, unlike movies and fantasy books, is true and was written to a world that was very different from ours now. Now, in the Bible, oh my gosh, is where we find one of the funniest idioms ever written down. In 1 Samuel 25, verse 22, or actually I'm going to start in verse 21. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. 
God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. All right. Now, David, this is he this is before he was king David. David was about to make a terrible decision because he was angry and he felt insulted. A very foolish rich man named Nabal was refusing to be kind and send food to David's hungry men. Even though they'd been guarding his shepherds and his flocks while they were on the run from King Saul. They were mighty fighting men, so they were good protectors. Nabal insulted David, and David was angry enough to kill him and every man in his household. But David would have been killing a lot of innocent people. Fortunately, Nabal's very wise wife Abigail stepped in and sent David a lot of food and wisely told him that he would be doing wrong if he carried out his plan. So David didn't end up killing anyone. But this verse that I read to you in English, in Hebrew it doesn't say that David is going to kill every male in the house. <sighs> It says he's going to kill everyone who pees against the wall. I know, you're, you're probably laughing really hard. That's an idiom. Women can't pee against the wall, but men can. And so in the ancient Hebrew wor world, that was an expression. <laughs> that, that meant male instead of female. Now, I don't want you boys peeing on walls just to be all biblical, okay? I don't want angry letters from your parents. You know, they didn't have bathrooms in the houses in those days, and men would often pee against the stone walls, hopefully outside. I know that during medieval times, in keeps and castles, they would put hay on the ground and men would just pee on that. I actually don't know what the ladies did. I don't really want to find out. I am so glad we have toilets now. Oh my gosh. Now, what if we didn't know about that idiom? What if we read David's words in Hebrew as meaning that he was going to kill everyone who pees against the wall? Well, we might think that he was only going to kill people who pee against walls. So, you know, attention everyone, stop peeing against the wall. We might start warning people. David doesn't like it when people pee against the wall and he's going to kill you. No. <laughs> I am sure that David peed against walls too. When he wasn't living in caves and out in the open. Guys can be super gross, but that was their context. It was what they did. <laughs> now, they might think it was totally weird to, uh, to walk all the way outside to an outhouse in order to pee when there was a perfectly good wall available, and they were probably used to the smell. See how important it is to understand how different their lives were from ours? Otherwise, we might believe that the first thing that David did after becoming king was to pass a law making it a crime to pee on walls. 
Well, maybe it should be a crime now that I think about it. <clears throat> Fortunately, by the time that Yeshua, Jesus, was born, they had public toilets, at least in the cities. So, less peeing on walls. Now, people from different cultures and different times will think that different things are right and wrong. And it's what their parents and everyone around them believes, and so they don't question it. Until someone comes around and says it's wrong, why should they do anything differently? In Bible times, people thought that slavery was just no big deal. It was normal. And that sons are better than daughters. They hated their enemies and wanted to kill them and didn't feel bad about it. They even wrote poems about killing the babies of their enemies, which is like totally messed up. Their context was very different than ours. These things and those ways of thinking were normal for them because of sin. And the Bible is God's story about fixing their wrong thoughts and actions step by step. When they wrote their angry feelings into the Psalms, they were just being honest about their prayers to God. So, you know, we have to be understanding when we read the Bible. We might want to get angry at them, but we have to remember that they had laws from God. Well, not everybody in the Bible had laws from God. And those laws were good and helped them to live in that world where people owned slaves. And there was a lot of war. Those laws taught them how to love God and to love one another better and to protect people who were needy instead of harming them. But laws only change our outside behavior. Some people did really well and lived as righteous and loving people just because the commandments told them to, but most didn't. The Bible isn't a story about quick fixes. God has been working ever since Genesis chapter 3 to fix our sins and our sin nature, which he did by sending his son to die for us on the cross. The world we live in now, where we hate slavery, and we know that boys aren't better than girls and understand that racism is wrong and that animals shouldn't be treated cruelly and that we should be kind to our enemies. Well, that's the world that God has been making new ever since Yeshua raised from the dead and sent us the Holy Spirit to help change us from the inside. Every believer has a special helper the Holy Spirit. So you know what? We're never alone and never far away from God. Our prayers are always heard even if we don't get what we ask for. As you grow up, you know what? You're going to be really glad you didn't get everything you asked for. <laughs> but I want to teach you about another special helper as we go along. And that special helper is context. It'll help you to make sense of God's word so that you will understand who he is and what his character is and what he wants from us. 
context will help us understand why Bible people did the things that don't make sense to us and will help us not make the same mistakes. Context will help you when people tell you that God isn't real and that Yeshua didn't really rise from the dead and that the Bible is just a book full of fake stories. Well, we have a lot of proof that it's very real and I'm going to share that Every week we're going to talk about different proofs. We're going to talk about archaeology. Archaeology is when men and women go out and they find old cities and old sites and they dig stuff up out of the earth and sometimes they find proof that the people in the Bible were real like the bull of Hezekiah and Bulla is a is a seal that they used to um, stamp into tablets to make sure that people knew who they were from. And so King Hezekiah from the Bible, we know he existed. We also know that King, King uh, Jehu from the Bible existed because we have proof from an Assyrian tablet. I mean, isn't that really cool? And we have coins and... Um, different writings from different cultures where they talk about the Hebrews from Egypt and from the Hittites and from a lot of places. So the Bible talks about things. And the really cool thing is that other cultures talked about it too. And over the last 200 years, a lot of things have been found that when they were translated, people started going, oh my gosh, that's in the Bible or that's somebody in the Bible. It's so exciting. People um, or, 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 you know, historians sometimes would write. And we have historians that aren't Jews, or at least one anyway, that I'm thinking of right away, that, that wrote about Yeshua, our Messiah, and John the Baptist. So these weren't made up people because the people writing had no reason to make him up. Anyway, so... Next week, we're going to start with our first real lesson. We're going to start in Genesis. And in Genesis, we're going, the first thing we're going to talk about is God's creative word, how God creates things. And I'm going to give you ways to, to think about how powerful it is, he is, and how we can trust him. And we're also going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. I want to teach you all about God and all about our Savior and about the Holy Spirit and about how we can be more like him because we're supposed to be image bearers. And that means we're supposed to, when people see us, they're supposed to go, wow, that's just like God's walking on the earth because they have his character and they're doing things the way he would do them. That's what we want. Now, parents, if you want to keep up with these broadcasts and miss a week, you can subscribe to my podcast channel free of charge at characterincontext.podbean.com or to my blog, where I post transcripts for the hearing impaired weekly at contextforkids.com. There are already a lot of video teachings there to choose from. I also have a YouTube channel called Context for Kids, and you can find it all linked from my podcast site. Now, kids, 
Until next week, I want you to know this, and I want you to always know this, and I mean it. You know, I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I want and I hope you have a wonderful week studying scripture together as a family. Because studying scripture together is such a wonderful blessing. And we live in a time where we have Bibles in our home. You know, even our Savior didn't have a Bible in his home. We are incredibly fortunate. God has blessed us more than any generation, except the generation that actually got to see Jesus, Yeshua, in the flesh. Anyway, that's it for this week. I love you guys. You take care.